and welcome to the latest episode of SFI Not So Live with me, Jay Evans, your host. Thank you for joining us. I'm joined by another interesting panel, uh, all-male panel today. So uh, coming to you first, Tony. Tony, do you want to do a quick introduction, let people know who you are in case they don't already know? Yeah, hi everybody. My name's Tony Hall. I'm head of mortgage sales here at Saffron uh, for intermediaries. Um, that's probably all you need to know, really. Short and sweet. Uh, I'm also joined by Simon. Simon, quick introduction, please. Who you are, what you do, where you're from. Yeah, of course. Uh, so I am Simon O'Donnell. <clears throat> I am the field-based BDM for Saffron, covering the south of the UK and London. There you go. Short and sweet. A little bit longer, hopefully. We are joined. We've got a lovely special guest with us today. Um, we're joined by Rob Jupp. Rob, welcome to SFI Not So Live. It's your first time here. Good to have you. Um, why don't you just let the audience know who you are? And, and I'm pretty sure they know who you are, but let's do it anyway. Uh, yeah, hello, Jay. Thank you for uh, for inviting me. So I'm Rob Jupp, the group CEO of the Bright Star Financial Group. We have uh, a small number of portfolio companies, the, the two that... Uh, uh, we trade in the mortgage industry uh, our Brightstar Financial, that are one of the leading specialist distributors in the UK, based in Billericay in Essex. And we have Sirius Property Finance, which is our, um, more of a high net worth um, boutique debt advisory business that's based in the City of London. Um, we have um, just under 100 staff across the two businesses, uh, and uh, the businesses have been going for too long actually 11 and a half years goodness uh, i was just a, a mere yeah. young child when i started this business uh, wasn't i tony yes good good yes answer. <laughs> yes so that's that's a, a very brief summary mm. uh, i've been in the mortgage industry now um coming into my third decade it's the it's the only industry i've, I've worked in an industry that i uh, for my sins deeply love and uh, and deeply enjoy working in so thank you very much for, for asking me to join this today you are more than welcome. Thank you. And thank you for taking the time out to record yeah. with us today. We're going to be talking about some May news. It's uh, This has been released in June 2022. Just as a caveat, some of the things we discussed might be slightly outdated depending on when you listen to the podcast. So for those of you who haven't listened to us before, SFI Not So Live pulls apart some of the news that's affected the mortgage and property industry. And we sort of pull it apart, give our own opinions and Feel free to argue with us. Join us on social media and, and give your comments on what we're talking about by all means. So uh, without further ado, let's dip into our first story uh, today, which is from the intermediary. Um, the Building Society quarter one mortgage lending is at the same level as during the stamp duty holidays, the headline. So figures released uh, in May uh, from the Building Society Association. So the mortgage lending for building societies in the first three months of this year was on par with lending in the same period last year when the stamp duty holiday was in operation. So we've still got a buoyant market. Tony, going to come to you first because we've talked about this a lot. Um, but we've still got a buoyant market and no stamp duty holiday. What's happening? Is it is it as buoyant as this makes out? Yeah, it's it's extremely buoyant. There's, you know, we, there's still far too, you know, there's there's more people wanting to buy than there are houses available to buy. So there's, there's a huge supply and demand challenge still. And um, uh, we're... we're extremely busy we've had probably a, almost a record month this month uh in in activity so there's no and there's no sign of it letting up i think the one thing that's probably masking these figures is the delay in completions at the moment these figures actually are probably better than you than than it looks 
I'd say we're outperforming the pandemic because, you know, uh, we discussed it before, but, you know, the, the average completion timescale moving out from that fabled 90 days to now roughly 157 is significantly impacting that completion time frame. So these figures probably could be, I don't know, 15% higher because of the blockages at the moment within the, um, you know, within the um, conveyancing and solicitor world. So it's a very, very strong position for the building society sector. And I think as well, it, what's good is the fact that as building societies tend to support the, the, the normal customer, but very much so leaning towards more the customer that needs a bit more help, needs, needs what building societies generally can bring, which is a more manual approach to underwriting and a broader approach to uh, helping people with more complex issues. So I think it's all, all, all leading up and showing up to being another bumper year. So, Rob, um, from a distributor perspective, you've got a wider market, <laughs> wider market knowledge. What's what's um, what's it feeling like across all the different societies? I mean, presume the same, um, and the industry, you know, certainly reacting to this this positive market that's happening. But is there any particular areas of the market that are fueling this? Well, Joe, we we do work in um, in six specific areas of the prop- property market, of which um, with Saffron we'll deal. Uh, with actually almost half of those half of those areas we deal with the Saffron Build Society. So um, we, we are very, very busy in all of our markets without exception. Um, and, and actually, um, the those of us working in this market this year um, have, have, would not be surprised at the headline. You know, it, it's it's much busier uh, than uh, than most times I've worked in. For the last 30 years which does make me a little nervous i have to say i think what we also need to think about when we're comparing like for like periods is january and part of the way through february last year was still a national lockdown well seemingly everywhere other than 10 downing street so um we were in a uh, a difficult trading area <laughs> and, and i think um tony's point spot on i think that legacy of the pandemic is still with us i think that we still have a large chunk of the mortgage industry, particularly the um, the support and the posting side that is working remotely. Um, and I think there does lie um, a significant issue where there is just simply an over capacity of business levels coming into all lenders at the moment and probably are under capacity of being able to service it. So Tony's point about the, the delay in pipeline is absolutely spot on. Um, those delays are um, actually becoming larger at the moment and not uh, and not uh, smaller. Um, I think it will probably take a while for that to calm down. I think we're all busy as well mm. with remortgage business. This is the most bumper remortgage business I've ever worked in right now. People are starting to get scared. They're looking at their products coming to the end. They're being told every day that their cost of living is going to go and the cost of living is going through the roof. Inflation at 10%, you know, your mortgage is going to be two, three times more than it is next year if you don't fix it now, which is um, utter nonsense. But that's the headlines that are, are driving activity. <coughs> so, uh, excuse me. <coughs> so, I, so I decided to start coughing, actually, which is really useful. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, really, really good market um, in terms of activity. <coughs> but quite a challenging market to work in at the moment. Uh, I'm not sure that... Um, 
that too many of us are probably enjoying this market as maybe as much as we should be because it is very high intensity. There are problems. Yeah. And from what I hear mm-hmm. with intermediaries, um, with, with, with certain lenders and not Saffron, I hasten to add, they are spending large chunks of their day with lost activity, you know, just being on the phone, waiting and trying to get updates. So, yeah, bit of a challenge. I think uh, yeah. it, it's a bit stressful out there right now. Yeah, Simon, you, you deal with brokers day in, day out also. How, how is it feeling for them? Um, I, I think Rob's pretty much covered it, but just from your experience in going out and seeing people, you know, how are, how are brokers and intermediaries reacting? Yeah, um, you know, it, it almost feels busier than it was last year during the um, stamp duty holiday. But, you know, bro- every broker I speak to is just run off their feet at the moment, every single one. Um, and they're getting pressure from, you know, solicitors, valuers, vendors, etc., stuff like that. But um, showing no signs of stopping whatsoever. I, so- I spoke to a broker this morning who said that he's finding that his clients who perhaps would be looking at, you know, a 500k house or something like that, they don't want to move now because the cost of living, etc., stuff like that. Or I say they don't want to move. They don't want to move into that larger property. They're just narrowing down their sites a little bit, so it's a slightly cheaper property. So they still have every intention of moving. They're just again lowering their sites because of the, uh, you know, the cost of living crisis. So again, yeah, no signs of slowing down. Is it? Is there an ending site though? How long can this go on for? It can't go on forever, surely. I mean, I'm, I'm opening this up to the floor, but it can't go on forever. It's got to show signs of slowing down at some point. Um, well, um, yes, I guess, you know, all trajectories, you know, like hot air balloons, you know, they go up and they come down. I mean, I think, you know, any market is is cyclical. But um, I think the interesting dynamic here is you have got the most intertwined, sophisticated mortgage market in UK history right now. And you've got, you've got you know, very much a suffering um, purchase market um, because there just isn't enough stock in the market right now. Um, and and I don't see that changing. I think that's probably going to get worse. Stock for a stage is, is going to get tougher. I think you've then got, as I've said before, a really, really strong remortgage market, the strongest remortgage and PT market ever. And I think the third thing, almost in a counter-cyclical way, you've got a really strong PRS buy-select market that is absolutely flourishing. You know, even if we have a, a more difficult year, we're still looking at anywhere between... 38 and 40 billion pounds worth of lending in that market alone so you know um if if one market does um suffer the other markets are kind of there to to step in um, mm-hmm. and that's the great thing and and this all three of these markets are largely owned and run by intermediaries so you know I, I, as um as captain mannering said in dad's army you know don't panic um because as one diminishes the others will continue so I, I don't I, I genuinely don't see there being an off the cliff Armageddon style um, overnight decay um, there may be a reduction but the reduction is going to be fairly modest over a period of time Tony you look like you're going to say something then no no I was just um just agreeing so for once I shall, I shall be nod, nod silently and let, let us move on there's something that Simon said, actually, before we move on to our next story, something Simon said that intrigued me, because during the pandemic, everyone moved to almost, not necessarily upsize, but they moved to um, change the property, spending on, on their new working life, so maybe moving somewhere where they had space to build a, an office in the garden. or But the cost of living crisis, I know 
is going to be hitting us for a very long time. There, there is the cross of that, isn't there? There's these people that were graded and thinking maybe, oh, crap, I should have stayed where I was. Yeah. Or maybe they're in a larger house and thinking, I might need to downsize now, um, you know, because our costs are too high. Yeah, there was an article, um, I think it was this week, I don't remember the publication, but I'm sure it was something like 25% people who moved during the pandemic wish they hadn't. So I think, See, that's, I think that's it's exactly that. Stuff, people it? were were were... You know, through that period, a lot of people kind of went uh, were up, upsizing and going from that first house to that third house rather than going to the second. Yeah, yeah. So they overextended and now, yeah, it's starting to bite. So it's, you know, it's it's an interesting time. As Rob said, there is going to be contraction in the market. It, it cannot keep, you know, every bubble bursts at some point. It's just uh, at what point and how ferociously. But I don't think, as I said, I think we'll see contractions across markets, but um, we won't see any um, huge cliff cliff faces, in my view. And, and you know, every every scenario creates an opportunity for the for, for intermediaries, you know. And I think the point I would probably say is for for a lot of it for for a lot of intermediaries, probably not the ones that we deal with so much. Um, they need to diversify and think bigger and, and understand that there are opportunities for clients out there that they probably still say no to because they don't don't they don't know the markets. And that's where the likes of us and, and Brightstar come into our own because we have that expertise to help them. That's the key. Great stuff. Love job. Well, we've just discussed or we've just mentioned different types of markets. Let's move on to our second story, which came from Mortgage Solutions. Uh, only um, a couple of days ago, actually, so on the 25th of May, self-employed individuals are like twice as likely to get rejected for a mortgage compared to their PAYE counterparts, according to Exploring Inverse Credit Report from the Mortgage Lender. Sorry to brand. But um, it's a, a topic that, that we have um, discussed on many occasions, Tony, Simon. We, we yeah. talk about um, the self-employed quite a lot. It is an issue. I will come to you in a minute because, Tony, I know you want to drop in a little plug there somewhere. But, Rob, <laughs> just quickly over to you um, uh, across the board. Self-employed, obviously, the pandemic was an exceptionally unusual period. It's not something we could have predicted. The self-employed were particularly hammered, uh, especially if they were in a certain bracket where they got no support from the government at all. Um, you know, this was inevitable that it was going to be more difficult for them. How bad is it for the self-employed? Is it really that bad across the board with lenders? Uh, so, so this is not a this is not a new headline. This is just a, a lender that's used the opportunity to um, promote the fact that they do self-employed mortgages and use a headline that mm -hmm. you know says that. I mean, yeah, any mortgage intermediaries that reads that would go, yeah, and what? Of course, it is. It always has been. But the the, the thing is yeah. this. Where most people um, that require um, a mortgage and they're self-employed in the special market, where they start their mortgage journey is in the wrong place. They go to you know the bank that they bank with for years, that they perhaps have a business bank with, and they just think that because they bank with them and because they see the flow of money going through their bank account, um, like back in the day, the bank will have some sort of magic special stick for existing customers that you can wave and they'll get a mortgage. And and they often don't because obviously banks are heavily regulated and um, can't do favours to existing clients that often. So um, 
they they start in the wrong place. That's that's the truth. So you know, uh, and and sadly, you know, some people are not very robust. They get turned down once and um, they give up. <laughs> oh, oh, I can't get a mortgage because my bank's told me I'm not, which is um, which is very very often not the case. And then if they're able to have the fortune to speak to a good mortgage intermediary, um, of which there are thirty thousand of them in the country. Um, and a good percentage of those would be deemed as good intermediaries, I'm sure. They will look for a number of lenders, including the Saffron Building Society, that has a, a very, very good proposition for the self-employed. Um, and, the, and they'll have underwriters and people that are qualified and um, aware of what to look for. So, um, you know, this is this is this is not you know this is not a pandemic created. I mean, let's, let, let's just. Let's just blame the pandemic for everything that's going wrong in the world at the moment, shall we? I mean, a good chunk of it, um, I'm sure you can blame it for, but this one you can't, because only, you know, most people who were self-employed did get government support via furlough or um, via C bills or bounce-back loans. Um, those that um, um, came into the pandemic, many of them were holding good reserves of cash. So they're able to cash flow themselves out reasonably quickly. And because a lot of these people, um, it was their companies, they probably did take more risks to the health. They probably did get out there a little bit sooner than others did. They probably did get out of their bunkers before most of us even thought about it. And because they're entrepreneurs, a lot of them. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's not as bad as this headline would suggest. I think as long as you go in the right place, you know, a, a, a big percentage of, of the UK SME, um, We'll able will be able to get a mortgage. Tony, just um, picking out a few bits of that. Um, I, you know, I think we agree. Uh, being self-employed has never been easy to get a mortgage. We know that, but just on the um, the effects of the pandemic, let's just quickly tap on it. That there were elements. These bounce back loans or grants um, were the biggest issue. Um, is that going to continue to cause a problem? Is that really a problem or is it down to the fact as as rob just said is that it's the right intermediary for for the right and the right product yeah it's 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 the latter i mean what rob said was what i was uh, if you'd have come to me first i'd have virtually i would not as eloquently but i would have mirrored that in terms of it, it, it you know if you if you ask the wrong people you'll always get the yeah. wrong answer and i think that's exactly what's what's happened here so um but i do think that the pandemic has helped not, not help it's helped lenders think about the self-employed in a different in a slightly different way and and look and really look to support and so we you know we obviously we along with a few others have gone right okay well let's let's remove that pandemic year we, we we've got excellent underwriters that understand self-employed so they can look beyond um you know an economic situation um sadly a lot of people have tried to use the pandemic uh, as an excuse for a failing business and then try and get a mortgage. Um, so we've seen a fair fair deal of that. But look, we've always had the view that if you took the loans, if you took the grants, then that was the right thing to do. It was being offered. If someone's offering you cash to support you and you and you 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 can be justifiably taking it, then we will happily overlook that or build that into our scenario. And it doesn't mean it works for everybody. So I think the pandemic's helped from that perspective. We're more cognizant of the issues that people face and, and we'll, we'll do that. But it is very much down to the self-employed finding the right lender, you know, and if they're not comfortable 
um, themselves, then they, you know, they, they go to an intermediary that either does it themselves or comes through Brightstart with their you know, expertise or other, you know, other packages and distributors who will, who will help them do that. So it's funny. I think I said this before, but I was in the I was in the hairdressers, and I know I still you need to just go to about a not even take long. <laughs> so I, yeah, yeah. Like, like, I, as I said, I go and have it stuck on now rather than taken off. So they have so, a comb um, over. But, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, thanks, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, um, yeah, it starts at the armpit and goes over the top. So, uh, but um, um, I was chatting to a guy there. He was like, oh, I'm self-employed. I'll never get a mortgage. Um, I was like, no, you will. You, you get one. There'll be a cost for it because of, of whatever scenario you're in. But don't don't think you won't get one. You know. So, I think it, it is. It's that plea to go and get professional advice. That's the plea we always say. Go and find, as Rob said, a quality intermediary, and there's a lot to choose from. Um, if you ever need a help doing that, you know, we'll happily help you. As I know. Rob, Rob and his team would as well. So um, just bearing in mind that yeah, the uh, good majority of our don't... audience are intermediaries. Maybe it's more telling the intermediaries to go to the right people for the advice and going to the right lenders to spread spread their wings, as it were, or go through a good distributor and find the right products. Because as we know, you know, there, there are so many products in the market and there's a lot of changes happening. But actually, it's just it is really about the product, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I think just going back to that, the, the key thing that intermediaries can do when they're approaching a lender is have the story clear. If if it's not an obvious case, you know, we always say, as you know, Jay, tell us the story, you know, mm -hmm. but but do do that because it makes it so much easier if we can look at it once and go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's fine. If we have to go digging, then that's where the delays come in. Uh, and then the more questions get asked and then it just doesn't help. So just be upfront and tell us what it is exactly you're looking for. That really helps us as lenders. One of the things I've been working on um, away from away from this podcast and the webinars, one of the things we've been working on is the change in working patterns since, sorry to use it again, the P word. Um, but there are more self-employed people, uh, believe it or not. People diversified. Some people were self-employed, started doing things that they were passionate about and actually you know, you've obviously heard the great resignation, loads of people leaving employment to go and start something new and something they were passionate about and excited about, you know, due to their change in life thinking since, you know, they were locked away. Simon, do you get more brokers come to you with self-employed applicants now? You must see, you must see. An yeah, increase. definitely seen an influx since the pandemic. Um, and you've got people that have gone self-employed since the pandemic that are coming up to like finishing up their first proper year now. And that's where we can help out, um, you know, as, as Tony's mentioned um, and, and Rob kindly as well. We try to do our best for the self-employed and, you know, we can help those with, with just their first year's books. So they might have been made redundant during the pandemic. They might have thought, do you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to work for an employer. You know, I want to work for myself, see my kids, etc. And, you know, these are sort of, these are the types of clients that we're seeing come to us and in, in any industry as well. So a, a real array of industries coming across. Uh, but yeah, definitely an influx in, in self-employed applicants, particularly those that have just started out. I think, if we're going to give one bit of advice to the intermediaries in the audience is just, you know, look around, get some advice, speak to BDMs, have chats with the people you trust, because, you know, sometimes it's not as straight laced and as uh, straight down the line as you think. So thanks for that, guys. That was a nice uh, little chat on that because I've always wanted to champion the self-employed, not that I'm self-employed or anything. Um, and then um, <laughs> on to the next topic, which is... Um, 
from This Is Money, from the Daily Mail, um, and it's all about longer fixed terms. We've never really discussed this, Tony, have we? It's never been the thing we need to discuss. It's all relating to, to it, and it's it's all relating to this cost of living crisis. For the sake of the recording, we are the day after the Chancellor's just announced a package to help people um, across the board. So that's just to give us context. But Tony, uh, oh, actually, I'm going to come to you first, Rob, actually, on this one, on these longer fixed terms. Uh, do you think this is even feasible? Do you think this is something that even catch on? I don't know. I mean, I think it's um, the definition of... One broker's definition of a long-term fixed rate is, is perhaps different from another. I mean, I, my definition of a longer-term fixed rate is anything more than five years, actually. Um, I don't mm-hmm. know whether that's the industry definition or not, but... Um, if someone's coming to me and um, as, as a friend, I hasten to add, not as they're giving them advice, close brackets, and says, you know, would you take um, a, a long-term fixed rate? The rates seem really cheap now. I probably not would be saying that uh, too recently, actually. But if they did, you know, I would have some concerns about anyone um, committing to, to anything for more than perhaps five years, simply because, you know... Um, I don't know what the latest statistic is. Is it is it still one in three marriages end? It seems to be in this area. It's more like four out of three that seem to end. <laughs> I don't know. Myself excluded, of course. But you know that there's um, there's matrimonial splits, there's relationship splits, there's people losing jobs, there's people changing their mind. You know, we talked about the the sort of um, the people who had too much time on their hands during the pandemic and decided to use it by moving property. Some of them will unwind that. Um, sometimes people's jobs, you know, still change. Uh, you know, relocation's not a thing of the past. We can't all sit in our gardens forever working. So that, that all of those things I'd have concerns with. I think, you know, um, and also from an advisor's perspective, I guess I'm, I'm probably going to call this as I see it. Uh, there's not that much commercial advantage to an advisor for fixing the rates too much longer because they will lose the customer. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And there won't be the ability to either do a PT or a refinance. So, um, you know, qu- just a question mark. I mean, the forty-year fixed rate. Um, I went went down as well as ex- was expected. I think like a lead balloon. Probably more, there was more <laughs> lead balloons sold that week than there was those forty-year mortgages. But that was just headline making. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it was a it was a nonsensical idea. Um, the the bit that I think would be really interesting, but I, th- I think you you'll, pro- you'll probably not be able to get it through. Um, Sonia and swap rates will be the ability to perhaps agree a payment rate for a period of time and then have the flexibility to come out of that at any point. But of course, as, as most intermediaries will understand, the way that most loans and mortgages are funded is um, they're, um, they're raised by, by retail funded bonds, by savers. So, you know, you're, you're fixing, you're, you're able to fix a rate for five years because you've got a load of cash in on a five year fixed rate savings bond. So, you know, mm-hmm. trying to get flexibility on that, I think, would be really, really important, and uh, but really, really difficult. And I think that's the problem. I think the, the market is unable to be that flexible in product design because of the way it's funded. Tony, yeah, I, 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 I agree. Look, it's, you know, a long-term fixed rate for some clients might be absolutely the right advice. You know, they have... Uh, they have no plans to move. They have no plans to do X, Y, Z. They they desperate for that certainty. It might be, but you know, if, if anything, the last three years has taught us, you know, 
nothing is guaranteed, everything can change. So an advisor is going to be really drilling down into that person of what's their plan over the over the period to ensure that they get the right term. You know, it's like first time buyers being locked, locked into long term fixed rates in their first home. It, it's I don't I don't understand it because most first time buyers don't want to stay in that home for long. So they end up after two years wanting to move and they're stuck with a big penalty for doing so. So it's a challenging one. Um, and that's again why you need to find or what why consumers need to go to, you know, the, the right intermediary to get that advice. You know, I, I think Rob's right in terms of how to fund longer term deals. It is a bit more challenging uh, for, you know, for the established lenders. You know, particularly the you know uh, retail banks and building societies, as I said, have got a retail savings model that does a lot of their funding. I think you've got an opportunity with um, challenger banks or new people coming to market who are promising longer term fixes and making it easy and providing that flexibility. So I think it's going to take somebody to come in and show that the world can operate on that long term basis. Uh, but I think it's it. it there's always going to be a penalty for fixing something for long because you can't have the cake and eat it, in my view. There's one or the other. So there's an impact of doing of having that security. So, But I know there's lenders on the way who've got their banking licenses that are going to come in and, and offer longer rates. So it'll be interesting to see how they do it and what what get-out clauses they provide as well. Because I think one, once we see that, then... You'll, you'll start to see more innovation. But I think for, for most lenders, it's still, um, we're kind of, we'll, we'll certainly watch it from a distance and get involved if it's the right thing to do. Um, and it looks the right thing to do. So it's, it's, this has been rumbling on for, for years, well, to be honest. It's not, again, it's not a new thing. No, and, and actually, you know, um, Simon, feel free to jump in at any point here, but... The Bank of England are going to have to put the base right up again. It's a given. Um, you know, we know this is happening and we don't know where this is going to go. But is, you know, the, the cost of living crisis is going to be with us for, for a fair amount of time. People are going to be tight and, and penny pinching. Simon, just on um, sort of broker conversations, applications you've got coming in now, how is affordability looking for people? Because it, there is a real pinch, even on... You know, those that we, those of us would be deemed as middle class. There's even a pinch on us now. Everybody's feeling the pinch. Um, how how does yeah. it feel for you putting in, you know, and, and working with the brokers at the moment? A lot more brokers are looking um, at five-year fixes now as opposed to two. So our sort of stress test and what we can lend, um, probably most, like most lenders, is we can lend more over a five-year period. So they're tending to opt for that um, because like you say, affordability is, is becoming harsher and, you know, of every base rate change, the SVR, et cetera, stuff like that. But um, in terms of sort of longer term, I mean, I don't think I've ever had an inquiry for a 10-year fixed or, or anything longer than the five-year fixed, actually, um, at all. So perhaps that's because brokers know we don't offer that service, but, um, you know, it's not something that I've seen at all, really. And you could argue that if you're ever going to see it, it's perhaps now with the cost of living, the bank rate on the on the up type thing and still not really seeing any signs of it now. I think we are still, as, as weird as it sounds, we are still really early in this crisis. We don't know how this is going to pan out. We don't know how October is going to look when the next price cap on the fuel 
goes up. We don't know what the Bank of England is going to do. We don't know if they've reacted right as it is. And it's all, I think we could sit here and speculate all day, but we, we can't predict everything. So um, let's uh, as a wait and see. But, but as, and Jay, can I just, yeah, can just, I just say at this point, though, I mean, this whole, we have to be really careful um, with the language that we use um, in, in our world. And I think anything that's, you know, Ukraine is a crisis. There's no two ways about it. Mm-hmm. Um, energy bills going up certainly fills um, a real problem for a, a lot of household budgets. But the new, the good news here is this: that this wasn't something that just happened. We, we had plenty of notification it's happening, and probably like Tony, like like most dads in the world is, has been busy going around <laughs> turning lights off and moaning about windows being left open. <laughs> there's so much, there's so much we can do within our green footprint now to actually wake up and, and care about the planet by actually reducing our carbon footprint and using less energy. And there's a real now incentive to do that because your, your bill will still go up, but it certainly might not go up as much as if you use the current framework. I think, you know, people are looking at their household spending, food's a, a big one at the moment, mm-hmm. people have experienced that in their pocket. But what, what I've learned from working with um, British customers for three decades now is they're tremendously robust. If they have to adapt, they will, and, and, and they'll make savings in any way they can. One of them clearly is, you know, the big one is the mortgage. But, you know, people will start to trade down cars. Mm-hmm. They'll start to think about numbers of holidays they take. It's just an economic necessity. And, and this is not, you know, let, let's be really, really clear. We've not just been invaded um, as a sovereign nation by, by Russia. You know, we're, we're not becoming homeless. And our fuel bills are going up. And we've been given, you know, six months notice of this happening. We've just got to, we've just got to get a grip on it. We've got to understand that you know there's a lot worse things in the world going on than this and we've just got to do what we've always done which is just find a way through it i know you know there might be a few people screaming at the screen saying well that's as easy for him to say everybody's feeling it everybody feels it and psychologically we are all starting to behave and act slightly differently but again i'm not sure that that's necessarily a bad thing anyway i i i agree with you in some points that, that you know we need to look at ourselves a little bit, look at, and you're absolutely right, look at the way we're managing our money, how we're doing that, what we can afford, what we can't. Um, and I think, you know, there, there will be some people out there who are looking, thinking, well, it's right for you guys, you know, you're, you're in a white-collar job, you're, you're earning well, it's probably not hitting you as hard as it is some of my my clients who are perhaps, you know, looking to, to buy. But as you say, and I, I completely agree with you, I think this is a time to educate. And maybe, Tony, maybe you could chip in here, but... Do we, as lenders, as a market, do we need to start giving brokers the tools to give to their clients to educate them and say, look, you know, it's it's not a crisis for everybody. It's a it's an opportunity to change, an opportunity to, for alternatives, an opportunity to, as as Robert's just saying, maybe manage our finances a little better and look at our lives a little better and look at those. Well. Yeah, look, it's you know this. We've had this debate before, and mm-hmm. um, and so it's one I've always gone about. It, it starts at school. Oh. There's the level of financial literacy in the UK is is still very low, it's because it's not a curricular subject. It should be. 
you know, we should have a, there should be a school of life exam for everybody to understand what goes on. And, and to interrupt, yeah. Tony, Tony, we're, we're, a, we're, a new, we're an older generation than Simon. So uh, between Rob and Tony, a straight answer. When you were at school, did you learn anything about borrowing, about interest rates, about mortgages, how, how you buy a house, where that goes no. afterwards, you know, what, you, what you're buying a house for? No, no. no, no. So that's from us older, older middle-aged ones. Over to the youngster, Simon. When you were at school, did you get any help with anything? Nothing like at that? all. Not, not even no. mentioned. I wouldn't. No. Yeah. See, point proven, Tony. I, I agree with you. I think education needs to start yeah. from a very. So early. you've, you've got a lack of financial literacy. You've also got, um, you've had, you know, more than a decade of benign interest rate movement, and um, it's low access, um, easy access to cheap money, right? And it's now starting to go up and it's just going up at the same time as everything else. Obviously, it's one of the, you know, fiscal mechanisms it, to try and yeah. stop it. But so, you know, I was just sat here thinking about it. You know, my first mortgage, I was delighted because I fixed it at 8.99, you know, and, it, you know, the, I was about to ask you the, what that the, was, the, actually. I was going to ask both you, you and know, Rob the what kids, your first The kids of today was. would just melt if you said that. So, you know. <laughs> we, we, it's we've got a generation of people trying to buy their first house or or buying their second home. You've also got a generation of advisors that have never had a rate increase as well. So it, it, you've got all of that. And as we say, Rob's quite rightly said, let's put this into context. This is an economic cycle, not a crisis. And we'll get mm -hmm. some, you know, and there'll be winners and there'll be losers. Some some won't be driving around in their flash cars like they used to. Or if they are, they might lose their house as a result if they don't do things right. But you know, we've we've we we've got to look and go. Actually, it could be a lot worse. And as you say, that is a spectrum, and there's a lot of people who are you know being put into poverty in the UK as a result of what's going on. And we you know we need to support them. So I think back to the education pit. I'll get off me um I'll get off my soapbox now before I break a leg. Um, is it's. <laughs> education to support brokers to support uh, their clients but it's also education to support brokers you know and that's what we're looking at what tools yeah. can we provide that help them help help our intermediaries help their help their clients so back to your point jay we are looking at how, it, how it's we generational education yeah, it is it? but it you know, it's generational education. It's not just we, the buyer, it's actually the brokers. You just said it yeah. bang on, Tony. There's brokers that have only been exactly. in five, six years. And but it seen starts something. at school. We need, you know, I don't know why there's not a curricular thing that just talks about finances and how to do stuff because we wouldn't necessarily potentially have that much personal I mean, Tony, debt. Can you, can you scratch your heads and, you know, we're, we're panicking about five-year fixed rates starting with a three. I, I mean, you know, I, I, I almost mm. want to get a wet kipper and slap myself around the face because it's, it is kind yeah. of mental, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Oh, it is. It's like, oh, my God, rates with 3%. <sighs> That's horrendous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, maybe maybe we should um, we should start a, a, an education programme for brokers when they start out and these new brokers and just say, look, we've been through a hell of a lot worse when, you know, a couple of decades ago it was a hell of a lot worse than this and it can get worse than where we are now, but actually let's not... Let's not absorb the word crisis yeah, that the I mean, media like to use and actually go, it's a, it's an issue, it's a problem, but it's not something that we yeah. can't overcome. And it, again, it's like, it's not a new problem. You know, back in the day when I was running branch networks, we had a school's education programme. We used to go into schools and teach them about 
um, building societies and, and saving money and stuff like that. So, it, you know, it's possible if 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 we people want to do it, but it's it, it shouldn't. Can I um, just interject here, actually, because, um, Tony, you might might not be 100% aware of this, but Saffron do actually do that in, with a partner. So anybody listening to this podcast, if you're interested to know what that is, because they are um, very encouraged if parents can come to them and say, I'd quite like you to come in my school. They're a charity. They do require funding, um, but they are absolutely brilliant. They work in East of England. So if you listen to this and live in East of England, look at the text with this podcast. And I'll put a link on for you get in touch with them because they do go around schools exactly what we've been talking about they go around and just break down what money is to children from five years old so it really does put it front of mind for them and they start asking questions of their parents and they tend to find they do more so a little bit of a plug but it is a charity so i think yeah. i can do that so we do do that i will put the link in the text with this podcast have a look guys and if you're parents take it to the school and say, look, you can get these guys in, we can educate our children and we can start this cycle and maybe it will encourage the government to think that actually finance should be, you know, part of your maths GCSE maybe, a big module of that should be money for life and what money means for your life and and maybe people won't be plumbing themselves into debt as soon as they turn 18 like I did. Okay, so uh, let's move on. That was that was really good, guys. Thank you for that. Uh, any comments on that, please, get on the social media channels. We'll love to hear your thoughts on it. Topic four. This one's from the intermediary. Um, due to poor internet connection, I can't open it. Um, but I know what it's about. So this is uh, 50% of pro professions in the industry are feeling that down valuations are growing in 2022. Tony, we've talked about this already. What's What's the problem here? Um, well, yeah, down valuation, they're, they're, we, we see quite a few at the moment. I, I, I think it's, I, I don't think it's down valuation. I think it's the correct valuation for property that's been overinflated because everybody thinks their home is a castle and is worth a lot more than it should be. Yeah. So it's, you know, all of us, you know, you, you read the, you look at next door and they sold it for that, but you don't know what's inside there. So I think it's, I think it's a, it's a feature of the market. We are seeing more of it, but I think that's because of the inflation of house prices generally. Um, I have a, yeah. you know, I want to, exp I want to broaden this conversation to say, um, one of our biggest challenges is actually getting a house surveyed because there's a, there's a shortage of surveyors again. That's the biggest issue that we currently face. Um, you know, our panel partners are struggling in certain locations because they, 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 there's not enough surveyors. It's one of those industries that seems to go through this. And while I'm sure remember this, it goes through this cycle of not having enough people coming into it. And I think we're 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 heading for another one of those because we are really struggling. And I know Simon does because he's in my ear every day saying like, he's getting grief from brokers because we can't get a can't get evaluation. Yeah. Sorry, do you want to comment on that? Yeah, it's, uh, well, it's particularly over the last uh, couple of weeks, it's really shown itself that, yeah, really struggling with valuations. Um, so some of them taking like four weeks to book in and stuff like that. And if you've got new build and you're getting grief from the from the site or from the builders, we want to complete by X date. And it's really difficult to escalate because obviously the valuers have got, they're fully booked up. You know, it's not like we can say, look, can you do us a favour? Ultimately, they'd have to take someone out and put someone in for us. So it's, you know, their hands are tired. Appreciate that. But yeah, really frustrating at the moment, to be honest. I think, um, I think new build developers have got a lot to answer for, particularly in these two peaks, you know, the end of June, end of December financial year sort of scenario where 
they just put too much too too much pressure on their intermediaries they work with. Um, that put too much pressure on lenders that snares up almost the entirety of the market um, for 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 their financial gain because they've got to complete on these transactions. And if yeah. if the brokers don't, they they run the risk of being fired and being replaced. It's that ruthless. Um, I think the um, uh, I think the thing that we just not got to just acknowledge now is is when you're coming into a cycle where you know the dominant type of uh, transactions like to be a remortgage. You're just going to have more down valuations yeah. to Tony's point exactly, and and I think what would be, yeah, what would be hugely beneficial and useful is, um, you know, tools that allow clients to get a firm indication even on an AVM basis what the house is going to be worth before they go in and put the application yeah. in, to prevent them. You know, if, if someone thinks the house yeah. is going to be worth, I'm going to make the number up, five hundred thousand. And, and it's not worth more than 400,000, it's never going to end happily, is it? They're just going to waste a load of time and resource and, and block an already fairly congested artery uh, causing cardiac. So so I think that, that, that I think, you know, if we all accept that remortgage, the remortgage world is going to be the dominant um, type of business for maybe the next uh, couple of years, I think we probably as an industry uh, and valuers need to help with this, need to find a interim solution which allows uh, clients to get an indication of what the house is worth uh, before they waste time. Yeah. Tony, just picking up, you said that this this is a cycle thing with with valuers generally and getting valuations like a cycle of people coming through is, and 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 to Rob's point about you know getting getting that looking at the system and looking at a way of doing it differently. What what's the cause of that? Do you think is it just a natural cycle. Well, is it just I mean, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I you know, it's, it's, this is a personal view, you know, I'm not, this is, I'm not expressing mm-hmm. this from any other uh, uh, annex on my own, but because I've been around long enough, I've seen it, seen it happening, you know, um, a bit like, well, I just, there's not enough people um, who want to be a surveyor. You know, um, it's it's a bit like mortgage brokers, really. None of us aspire when we're in school to be a mortgage. Well, I certainly didn't, and I'm not sure if it's the same with um, um, with surveyors. So there's there's a there's a lack of of talent filling up the the the, the pool of surveyors, and it's what I've seen, and we we see this cycle of the there being significant, um, you know, lack of new blood into the market. So that's what I've just I I can't say that's what's happening, Jay, but it's what I've seen before, you know, um, because you'll have a whole rough. You, you, you kind of picked up on a bit of a theory that I have in that um, a lot of the work I've been doing recently, because I'm, I'm working in the sort of employment and industry market at the moment. A lot of work I'm doing is around um, the amount of jobs. We've now got more jobs than we have, um, or more jobs and, and less people in work. So there's actually, a, I think, is it 1.2 jobs for every person or something stupid like that? Um, but anyway, um, it's now at the stage where I don't want to use or go into politics, but, you know, Brexit took a lot of people away from industries. There's a lot less people in the country that are willing to work. There's less people to work. So actually now people have got more choice. But I was trying to identify if, if our, this market, whether it's, whether it's surveyor market, surveying or whatever it is, um, conveyancing markets the same. It just seems like we don't have anybody coming in to aspire to be in these markets yet. We've got a very buoyant market. It, you know, it's, it's a strange, but then saying that, if you think back 10 years where, you know, when they started in education, I think, and again, as you said, Tony, what they're going to do for a career, I guess 
if the market didn't look that great and it didn't look exciting, why would you want to? Yeah, it's a challenge. But I think I think the answer, going back to Rob's point, will will be technology. The technology already exists with AVMs, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to ease a lot of the strain in this market already. Um, so, but the the thing that's got to evolve is the risk confidence to use an AVM above a certain figure. So AVMs are great up yeah, to yeah. say seventy percent. And that's probably stretching it. Most will probably cap at 65. So if you've got um, models that allow, a, um, you know, an algorithmic assessment of a house that a lender can get um, comfortable with to a higher value, a lot of this challenge goes away. Um, and I think that will come mm -hmm. over time as, as more and more confidence in, in those statistical models works, uh, particularly in that Remo market, because it then just takes a lot of, lot of this just out of the equation as rob said if you've got the technology up the front for the customer to have their eyes wide open coming into the transaction at the start then you don't have the big surprise but again there's another article i read this week about one fifth of remote deals uh, are bought at the moment and i'm wondering if that's maybe linked to this yeah. sort of the whole down valuation piece yeah yeah for sure and 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 jay the other the other really really important thing here is um this problem was identified five years ago by the mortgage industry to Ricks, yeah. and we were saying um, five years ago when they were saying uh, the great news it's a really experienced industry because the average surveyor is 61 years of age we're like <laughs> guys you've got a problem there <laughs> you, know, you know you see that as great we see that as terrifying and they did they did very little yeah and, and the reason why they did very little is 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 the UK valuation industry for property is in the hands of a very small number of people who, frankly, looked at the long-term play of physical property valuations and believed at this point, I really firmly believe this, that you know they didn't need they wouldn't need as many surveyors as, as they had. So surveyors were made redundant five years ago. They weren't replaced. There wasn't um, massively uh, significant graduate graduate schemes they you know they've all got a few but they've taken on uh, fairly small numbers of headcount um avms haven't uh, moved on that much really in that period of time there's still that concern about how how reliable they are um and and the problem now is is mm -hmm. the gamble has proven wrong because you've got you know you've got a a, a very much a decaying sector in terms of age because um terrible actually i've got to stop using when i talk about people getting old is decaying because i'm in that category myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's the most horrific so trust me i know how you, i know how you, i know how that feels i feel like I'm but no, <laughs> seriously you know um the mortgage industry in complete contrast needs to be congratulated you look at the uh diversity and inclusivity of our industry versus the uh, surveying industry it is a a quantum leap mm -hmm. and five years ago we said join join the revolution we're seeing that we've got the same problem in the mortgage industry we think that if we don't do something about it we're going to have significant issues um and we developed and you know we went to younger people from outside of the industry and we brought them in and as a result of this now mm -hmm. you've got a really fantastic diverse and inclusive industry it's not the same for values yeah 
and and then and others in the chain as well. I think I've seen that too, Tony. You were about to say something, but I've I've seen the same thing. He, he you know, we were, he, I couldn't agree with Rob anymore. To be honest, it's the other people in the chain should have watched and seen what the mortgage industry was doing and going, oh God, we're not keeping up, surely. Well, it's kind of it's kind of a institutionalized thing with the mortgage industry. We can be a bit slow to evolve um, across all parts of the chain. You know, there's a lot of great stuff, but sometimes the, the, the big dinosaur that is the mortgage market takes some turning at times. So, you know, but it is, you know, as you said, it does improve it. it and it, it's just one of those areas. It's the bulge is here. We'll flatten that and you'll have a bulge here and you'll flatten that and it'll pop up. It's just life. It's any any market, any industry. It's how you deal with it that matters rather than getting too stressed about it. It'll be interesting to see what they do uh, and what incentives they can do to bring people in. If there is that much of a shortage, let's see. Let's hope somebody's sitting there going, we need to change and we need to attract young talent. Hopefully they're doing that. As Rob said, we could use some fresh blood. So on to our final topic. We have just 10 minutes left, so we'll jump onto this one. I picked this one not so much for just for the fact of the, the headline, but actually uh, the buy-to-let market in general. But it's, uh, the story says about landlords helping their tenants during... Um, financial difficulties. I'm not going to use the C word. Um, they've been supporting their tenants. But I wanted to talk about the buy-to-let market. We've already touched on it earlier, Rob. You brought it up earlier as a as a really strong market. And it's, it's still going strong, Tony. I know we've had this conversation as well. Um, there are going to be some issues for some types of landlords coming forward with new regulations just come out for buildings. But at the moment, it's a nice, strong market. But, you know, there is issues now. The rental audiences you know those that will be your tenants if you are a buy-to-let landlord are um going to be suffering probably at the as we said it was scalable the lower end of the scale financially are going to be struggling with rents is that going to put people off heading towards buy-to-let rob should we start with you uh no i don't think it will uh, i i think you know um any change to anything will put off people uh but i don't think they'll significantly um big enough to to have any type of market realignment um you've got um you've got a significant number of people now in the country that have a significant number of properties you know they are professional landlords they mm-hmm. they run these businesses uh like a plc and some of them are actually plcs actually and you know they always look at um buying stock getting value re-leveraging portfolio mm-hmm. i mean we we do uh, particularly with our serious business, we do a phenomenal amount of really big corporate restructuring stuff, which are, you know, sometimes the quantums mm-hmm. of 20, 30, 40, 50 million pounds each trade. So there's there's no loss of appetite. I think, you know, the article, again, maybe I'm a bit critical, but the article about landlords supporting um, tenants in crisis, um, again, isn't a new thing. I mean, I know, I think, you know, Landlords have seen as a bit like the, the Rigsby character, isn't there? The seventies, you know, <laughs> yeah. sort of the slum landlords. Um, that couldn't be further from the truth. From from most landlords I deal with, they're professional people. They have you know pride in the job that they do. They try and support um, to get the right people in their properties to, to look after them. If there's ever problems, they're they're on the move reasonably quickly, and and it's a really good, well run. I think I think the the challenge, the big challenge for for that will be EPCs in twenty twenty five and getting two eighty ratings. That is a significant. Yeah. That that's not just a bump. That's a revolution. 
but again, they, they, there's a three-year mm-hmm. notice period here, um, and the challenge will be making sure that when you, as an intermediary, um, do a deal for your customer, that you keep those EPC and the cost of those EPC amendments uh, in your mind, because they will probably need to borrow at some point. And what there is is a growing issue that if you're dealing with a lender that uh, raises money via the capital markets, um, they are not in a position often to be able to give you further advances or allow second charges. So that's just a little bit of a, a little bit of a question. Mm-hmm. If you're doing mortgages now in Bytelet, keep the EPC changes in mind and have the conversation with the customer. Right, the cost of 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 the average um, EPC upgrade is going to be at least ten thousand pounds. You know, have you thought about how you're going to fund those? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was quite interesting, actually, because you touched on something I was going to go straight to Tony with, which is the move from hobby landlord to business landlord. Um, because I think from a, a general consumer perspective, if somebody's just listening to this podcast come along and they don't work in industry and you think of a landlord, you just think you think singular. You think they are just my landlord. They've got one property. But these people, as Rob said, they're professionals. Um, and Tony, so the increase in limited company buy to let just kind of proves that. you. But you're in that market now. And it was it was immediately popular, wasn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people uh, moving to limited company status because it's 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 more tax efficient to do so. And it's easier mm-hmm. um, to trade in that. I do think over the over the years of the government's putting the squeeze on um, landlords in terms of what um, benefits there were and the extra increases in tax and the extra stamp duties that people are going into this because they're serious about doing it. It isn't the dinner party landlord, which is the old phrase. Um, so there's <laughs> definitely, which I think is a good thing because you've got people who are doing this for the right reasons, not just because they thought they got out a bit of extra cash. So that yeah, to me yeah. makes a far more professional market for both a lender to have comfort and a tenant to know that they're dealing with somebody that actually does understand their responsibilities. So I think that's a, a key thing for me. Rob's quite right with the EPC. That is, a, that, as you said, that is a major change. Um, and we're looking at how we support that at the moment, looking at our internal processes and how do our buy-to-let customers borrow more from us? Um, how do we make our process easier and more, more, uh, uh, more accessible for a landlord to raise those funds? Um, and then on the, this is the shameless plug. And then on the other side, we will be soon um, bringing back our light refurb product, buy to let refurb product back to the market, which, you know, I'll be very honest, wasn't designed um, as a as a, an EPC buster. It, we've had it in in previous years. Uh, we we withdrew it when we we stepped back a bit from the from the from the buy to let market due to our you know, doing too much of it and our on our um, balancing figures. But that that product will allow a landlord to make cosmetic changes to the property, which we'll fund, okay? So mm-hmm. um, it, we, we see a perfect home for it, for people buying a new property as a, as a landlord, but wanting to get that EPC up now, so they might want to do the kitchen or the windows or something, and we, we will happily look to support that. Or for those who are already doing it and looking to remote their portfolio into a product where it's cosmetic, and they don't want to go down more expensive routes, then that's what we're bringing back. Um, it should be sometime in June, I hope, but I won't say for sure, because as you know, my colleagues in product will be screaming already because <laughs> I've even mentioned it. Um, 
I but, can't believe you've done it. I'm, you can't see me on camera because I turn my camera off. But I'm wincing. Yeah, it's, I, know I'm it's, well, I, I told everybody. <laughs> I've told everybody at the Mortgage Advisor Expo on um, Wednesday anyway, so it's a bit late now. So practically the whole market knows already. So this <laughs> and, is no shock. And at the Mortgage Strategy Awards, <laughs> after a cut the cut the glass at the bubbly, so that you know the cat's out. Oh, Simon, so I've told you to keep the bubbly away from him. He gives away far too many secrets. <laughs> There's no stopping him. There's no stopping him. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that I know. <laughs> um, Simon, just quickly, just because we've only got a couple of minutes left, but I do want to give you get your opinion on this from the broker perspective. Are we seeing some new landlords now? We talk about we talk about non hobby landlords and these these sort of business landlords, as it were. Um, but there must be some fresh landlords coming through too, because um, you know I'm thinking city professionals not being able to buy in the city. You know, we we discuss this often that. You know, I'm, I'm in my mid-40s. My friends all worked in London, bought in Norfolk, and have now moved in the houses they bought that they rented for about 20 years. Um, that was the way we did it. Is this is this happening? You're getting some fresh faces coming through? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So like you say, you're living and renting in London. You want a foothold in the property ladder, so you buy back home. London's too expensive. Or even, you know, um, happily living with parents but want to get that foothold on the property ladder. We do a lot for that. And we, we are definitely seeing a lot more first-time landlords, um, but that could well be because, you know, we offer first-time buyer, first-time landlord, which is a bit of a USP in itself, so people know to come to us. But, yeah, we see it quite often. Um, exactly the and and to Jay as well, we, you know, expat is on the rise again. We're, we're you know, we're, we see, we're like, seeing an, a, a spike upwards in expat landlords. So, so, so quickly on expat, I want to just explore that very quickly. I've only got a minute or two left, but uh, just very quickly on expat, Tony. Obviously, the EEC's out. Uh, is there any sign of that being coming back in that people can start to to apply from from uh, European economic? Yes, we we um, we we pulled out that market uh, after Brexit uh, until we were sure about all the legalities. Um, I'm pleased to say that, as with effect from Wednesday, we are now lending um, back to where we were. Um, so we're, we're we're now lending with within the EEA as well, with one exception, which is which is the Netherlands, and that's due to their um, legal requirements and not wishing to deal with uh, non non Brexit countries. Okay. So they are they are currently not on our list. But apart from that, we have no restrictions again, which is brilliant. Thanks, Tony. So that's all the time we've got today. So a big thank you to uh, the panel today for joining me and for taking the time out of their schedule. Thanks, Rob. And we will be back in July. Just so you know, SFI Live, the webinar series, is back in August. We're currently on a summer break with a brand new platform. So do look out for that on Saffron for, Inter Saffron for Intermediaries, should I say, get my teeth in, um, social channels. So just search for Saffron for Intermediaries. But from me and the panel, a big thank you for joining us.